Live from the hills of Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with Rabbis Ari Abramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel. Shalom, shalom. Are you with us? Are we all in together? Hi, everybody. Uh, ben, I think you may have just unmuted everybody, but I'm going to leave this up to you. Um, it is very good to see all of you and uh, strengthening, as always. We're sitting here together and we get to go and see your faces and uh, be grateful that we have the ability during these insane, crazy, volatile uh, times to, to be together and to strengthen each other and to share. And uh, so I'm going to start off, Jeremy, and hand the reins to you. Okay. Um, so, shalom, friends. It's really great to see you. Um, it, um, it, uh, it, people ask me, so Jeremy, you know, how, how long do you think this thing is going to last? And my instinct is Pesach. I don't know what that means, but I feel like that's a good uh, way to prepare like a long haul, a marathon, we have to pace ourselves. Um, every day, Ari and I are grinding it out in guard duty. Every day, we're trying to put out more content, strengthening people spiritually, strengthening people physically. Um, there were three attempted terror attacks around our farm and around the villages around us. Um, you know, there's signs that, you know, Jordanian tanks are moving now towards the border. A ship was just hijacked by the Houthis, um, you know, right off the coast. Um Things are constantly heating up and the black swans haven't even appeared yet. And so knowing that this isn't just like, you know, uh, kind of a firework explosion and then it's over, but really this is a process that's going on. And the process may have started at the end of Sukkot. And I hope to Hashem that it will last um, no longer than Pesach. And then just as the first redemption happened in Pesach, may the last redemption happen in Pesach as well. But with that, I thought that it would be um, just an opportunity for all of us to daven together, to pray together. And so every morning and every night, um, my family prays for all of the hostages. And that is a constant reminder, you know, of what this war is all about. The Jewish people, what did we want? Just to live in our land, to develop technologies that would bless the world, to raise our families, and then the forces of evil came in and took our families away from us. And so I want to pray for them and I want to pray for the families that they left behind. And it's just, it's such a battle right now between good and evil and seeing all of the evil just come out of the woodworks, how people can side with a society that was given more money than was given to Germany after World War II. People don't know that. Gaza was given more foreign aid than the Marshall Plan after World War II, and they took all of that billions of dollars. And instead of building schools and roads and infrastructure, they built terror tunnels and bought missiles and weapons just on a genocidal mission to kill the Jews and to kill the infidel. And so we are just at a war with evil. And the world doesn't recognize it, but we're all living in Israel. We just don't know it yet. The Messianic era is a consciousness where the knowledge of God covers the world, and we recognize, oh, we're all the children of God. We all live in a holy land. God's kingdom reigns all 
over earth. Right now, it's like, oh, there's a war happening in Israel. Oh, that's happening over there. No, no, no. There's a war happening in Germany. There's a war happening in England. There's a war happening in Greeley, Colorado. There's a war happening in Austin, Texas. There's a war happening. All of us are living in Israel. And that evil is after all of us. And for us to unite together the forces of good. And what can we do more than pray? So I thought we would take this opportunity and just to, uh, pray together. Hashem, Master of the Universe, give us strength and give us courage. Give the hostages strength and courage. Give their families strength and courage. Bless us with your light to guide us in these dark times. Bless our soldiers, protect them. It's miraculous already that Israel has conquered northern Gaza and less than 50 soldiers have been killed, but those 50 soldiers are so precious. Hashem, guard all of our soldiers that are fighting these forces of evil. Bless their families as the sleepless nights and the anxious mothers and fathers are every morning waking up to news. Give their brothers and sisters strength. You know, the Jewish people have never been so united. Hashem, bless us to unite the great house of Israel, all of us together. Let us unite, not just in this tragedy, but let us unite for the positive. Let us unite to bring light into the world. Let us unite to build Israel, to build a kingdom that will banish the darkness. Hashem, bless all of the people here in the fellowship that give us so much strength and so much encouragement that are literally the wind beneath our wings that allow us to stand strong on the front lines in Judea that support us, that pray for us, that have lifted us up in our darkest and scariest times. Bless them and bless their families. And may we all merit to see the fruits of all of the seedlings that we've planted throughout these years together. May we see the fruits in Jerusalem. And may we bring that first fruits offering to you together. Amen. All right, my friends. So I have um, two ideas that I wanted to share with you today. I know that Ari has really been preparing a lot today, and I want to give him an opportunity to share the Torah that he has. But the two thoughts that I had today is, you know, as I'm constantly, you know, on um, the news, watching what people are saying, trying to understand how evil is manifesting itself in the world. And so one of the claims that's constantly being uh, waged against Israel is saying, well, it's just been 75 years of chaos. The Jews came back and they made this country in the Middle East and there's been chaos ever since. And there's an open air prison in Gaza. And, you know, just like the Jews, we lived in Gaza and we wanted to offer them a state of their own. That's actually what happened. And we gave them Gaza and we totally removed all Jewish presence from Gaza. And then after we did this act of peace, they called it an open air prison, gave them billions of dollars and they waged war on us time and time again. And I'm just trying to see, like, you know, what, where does this narrative come from? This idea, it's like, oh, it's like this war is only 75 years old. And so I've been reading a lot of sources um, to try to find strength in hard times. And one of the sources that I uh, was reading was Igeret Teman, the letter written by the Rambam, Maimonides. And he wrote it to the Jewish community in Yemen, who at that time were suffering tremendously under the Muslim rule there, so much so that they were just going to give up hope, convert to Islam, and end it. And the Rambam sent this legendary letter that's learned until today, and it was written almost a thousand years ago, 800 plus years ago. 
And at the end of the letter, this is a direct quote. Maybe we can actually put it up on the screen. This is a direct quote uh, from Igeret Teman. And here's what it says right before the green line there. We won't be able to be saved from the massive amounts of their evil, the pachazutam becholazman, and their violence at all times. And all of this time, we're chasing after them with peace. And they chase us with violence and with war. And you think about that. That was 800 years ago. And you're going to tell me that the war between jihadist Islam and the Jews started 75 years ago or in 2005 in the Gaza Strip. This is an 800 plus year old letter that a rabbi in Egypt sent to the Jewish community in Yemen saying, even though we chase them and seek after peace with them, they chase us with violence and war. So this is an ancient war. And, you know, the Jews were the first people to reject Islam, the first people to reject Muhammad as their prophet. And so the existence of a successful country, the most successful country, arguably, in the heart of the Arab world is so deeply painful for their psyche and their religion and their thoughts that the simple-minded among them, they can't wrap their minds around it. And they just hate us with so much rage. Sometimes I try not to watch any videos of October 7th. My soul can't handle it. But every once in a while, my eyes will read a little um, description of some of the things that happen there. And the hate and the evil and the, the violence is so gory and so unimaginable. It's like a hatred that's like, it's like a soul that was sown from the pits of hell came into this world. There's no other way to explain it. And how do we deal with it? And this week's Parsha that we learned, my son Akiva, who's now in the 11th grade, and, you know, he's kind of growing through his growth spurt now. He started to train. Um, he's very motivated now to get into an elite unit in the IDF. He sees how important it is now. And so he's training every single day, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Uh, in school, he's trying to ace his grades. And he said, you know, when I read the Parsha this week, Abba, you know, I was looking at Isaac and I'm looking at Jacob and Asim. And Yitzchak, who did he love? He loved Esav. He saw these two types of people, Jacob and Esav, and Esav was a hunter. Esav was tough. Esav was a go-getter. And Yaakov was an Ishtam Yoshev Oalim. Yaakov was like a pure, innocent man in his tent, learning Torah. And he'd be a little bit of a nerd, a little quiet, like a little, like, you know, just a simple, peaceful person. And Yitzchak is like, no, no, no. The leader of the Jewish people, it can't just be that, that nice guy that's sitting in the tent learning Torah. It can't just be an innocent, sweet, pure, holy person. No, no. Esau, I can tell. Yitzchak is saying intuitively, he's got to be tough. He's got to be a go-getter. He's got to be a hunter. Look at Esau. That's going to lead the Jewish people. That's the people. If he's going to give birth now to the nation of Israel, Isaac was a prophet. It says that he was blind, obviously not only blind 
um, physically, but clearly he was blind spiritually because he couldn't distinguish between what was right and wrong here. And it took his holy wife to sort of steer him in the right direction. And then what does um, Yaakov's mother tell him? He says, all right, you need to go get the blessing. So you got to man up. We got to put some hair on these arms. You got to be tough. You got to be tough. And that's the only way that he was able to get the bracha. And I said, Akiva, that's really beautiful. You know, you got to grow some hair on your arms. You got to really man up. You can't just be a simple, um, innocent, holy person. You got to be um, a real fighter to go out and lead Israel. And I said that that really matches up with a beautiful idea that's actually quoted directly from the verses of the Torah in Genesis chapter 27, when Isaac is about to give over the blessing, he quotes, I think we have we have the, the slide with the exact verse. And who is the one that will get the blessing? And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him. And he said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Kol kol Yaakov v'yadayim yadei Esav. And that combination is what Isaac wanted to bless. He wanted the voice, the inner voice. He wanted the voice of Jacob, but he wanted the hands of Esav. He wanted the Jews to be fighters. Now I'm telling you, Ari is a warrior. You should see him. When he's on guard duty, watch out. I would not want to mess with that. Okay, all right, all right, all right. But if you don't push Ari into it, he's like a teddy bear. He doesn't want to fight anyone. He just wants to sit in his ohel and be holy and be with his children and be kind and be sweet and be funny. That's what Ari wants. And I think in the heart of almost every Jew, the last thing we want to do is pick up a gun and go out and fight. But what's being thrust upon us is watching the brave, courageous soldiers of the IDF. It's like the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the yadaim yadei esav, the hands are the hands of esav. And it's that combination that Yitzchak really wanted. That's what he saw is going to actually be needed in order to lead Israel and to lead the world. And so, you know, everything that happens to us happens for us. And what we're seeing now in Israel is an absolute spiritual awakening that's happening all over the country, but it's also an awakening in us to be Maccabees. It's awakening within us to be soldiers of King David. It's forcing us to be the ultimate Jews that God dreamt us to be, where we have the voice of Jacob, but the hands of Esau. And so we should be blessed that we continue to grow and allow Hashem to do what he needs to do through us in order that his will be done on earth. And so thank you all. Thank you all for all of your blessings and for all of your support. And um, it's a long road ahead, but an eternal people, sometimes I, I almost laugh as, did the Hamas really think that they're going to defeat the Jewish people? I mean, it's like ridiculous. I mean, we've lived through the Babylonians, the Persians, the Medes, the Greeks, the Turkish, the Romans. Like, like just these empires have risen and fall. Like the Hamas. Yes, Hamas. You're the ones. After God has brought us back to Israel. Yes, this, this terrorist organization. They're the ones that are going to put an end to us. Good luck. It's But it is, it's forcing us to strap on our boots and to become soldiers of the king. And so may Hashem do what he needs to do. 
and may we be um, righteous, holy vessels to bring his light into the world. All right, here's Ari, friends. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, in the defense of Hamas, words that I never thought I would say, it's not just Hamas. It's Hezbollah. It's Iran. It's Syria. It's Russia. It's the Jihad. It's not like we're just dealing with Hamas here. You understand there's like a bigger thing happening. That is true. But anyways, um, it is, uh, it's good to see all of you. Um, so there's a lot that I want to talk about. Some of it, uh, Jeremy, just uh, touched on a little bit, but I want to take in a little bit of a different direction. But, uh, you know, one of the great themes throughout this fellowship has been the idea that the Torah portion is a blueprint for our times, that the Parsha illuminates the events that are unfolding both in our personal lives, but also in the um, on what's unfolding in the in the world. And so, you know, a cute example I thought I would start my piece with that would demonstrate this principle would be one thing that happened this week that Jeremy actually made a powerful viral video about regarding the Washington rally. You remember, did anyone see that? Raise your hand if you saw Jeremy's video. It really got out there. It was very good. It was a very, very powerful video. Every word was perfect there in my mind. Anyways, uh, that rally was alluded to in this week's Torah portion. And if you know where I'm going with this, raise your hand. So Jacob successfully receives Isaac's uh, blessing, and he is told to flee to Beit Lavan, to Laban's house. Now, the definition of Laban's name, Lavan, is white, meaning that Jacob was indeed sent to Beit Lavan, to the White House. In the very same week that the children of Israel, that Jacob's children and the nation of Israel converged on the White House. So that happened. And I thought that that was a cute way we could uh, we could start. But this idea of the Torah in general and the Torah portion of the week in specific, shining a light of context and, under, and understanding to our times, goes infinitely deeper. So let's start by looking at one very telling verse that I think opens up an entire world of understanding for us, a whole a whole world, particularly for us in this fellowship. So after many years of Rebecca being barren, the sages say actually exactly it was 20 years, um, Isaac and Rebecca both pray to Hashem and they finally conceive and Rebecca is pregnant. And then, well, let's look inside at chapter 25, verse 22. Vayitro tetsu. The children struggled within her, and she said, If so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of Hashem. So Rebecca is feeling this struggle inside of her between Esau and Jacob. And, uh, you know, for many years now, I've reflected on this idea, because as we know, Esau is the father of Rome, of the West, which geographically is Europe and America, but even more so on a spiritual, philosophical, and, and ideological level, Esau is the father of replacement theology, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. And for those of you who aren't, standing on one leg, replacement theology is the idea that took root thousands of years ago that Hashem has rejected his covenant with Israel in favor of Esau and Christianity. And this very perverse idea has been the root and the foundation of unimaginable persecution and murder of Jews throughout history, really cumulatively far greater than what we saw on October 7th. And I personally started seeing this verse in a very different light in my personal encounter with the Christian world 
many years ago, because throughout the years, I've seen tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Christians going through exactly the same struggle within their souls. Now, keep in mind, I'm looking at this from the outside, so I don't know that I can really testify to this, but this is what I've seen. I'd, I'd be very interested to hear from some of you in this fellowship who are Christians or somewhere around there. I know the definitions are sort of getting old lately, but um, but just so that a quick disclaimer, you know, we're family here and we're committed to speaking the truth with each other, even potentially controversial subjects. And this could be one of them. So please know my heart that I love all of you. And if any of you uh, want to speak up or share your feelings, I, I would love to hear that. But anyways, I'm going to go on. I see Christians today going through the same inner struggle between the Jacob within and the Esau within, meaning within themselves. And the reason I say this is because according to my understanding and my personal observations, I've come to see Christianity as in essence a mixture between Jacob, which is Judaism, meaning the Torah itself, as Christianity does believe in the divine origin of the Torah, right? It's called the Old Testament. Um, and uh, But there are also elements of Esau within conventional Christianity, Catholicism, I think, in, in, in particular, as there are also, you know, pagan ideas that have become infused in Christianity as well, whether it's, uh, you know, certain elements of Christmas or Easter, which, in my understanding, uh, have pagan origins to them. And, we, you know, we can get deeper into that another time because I intentionally don't want to overfocus on the theology part of things, but rather on the deeper spiritual implications of it. Because I've come to see that the, the true gauge, what I believe is the true gauge of whether each individual Christian is refining the Esau out of themselves and embracing and identifying with Jacob, or refining the Jacob out of themselves and identifying and embracing with Esau, is whether they stand with Israel during these times. That's far more telling of the true condition of their soul than whether they celebrate Christmas or Easter. As some of the greatest friends of Israel and the Jewish people that I know, people that I love dearly with all my heart, celebrate both of them. So I don't want to get into the ritual and theology of it. It's really more a heart issue. And so on the deepest level, if a Christian stands with Israel, I believe that that means that they are choosing the Jacob within themselves, that they are the, the, you know, they're seeking a, uh, you know, a, with a passionate thirst. I've just seen over the years this passionate thirst that so many Christians have uh, to connect with and understand the, the Jewish roots of their own faith. And I'm seeing that more strongly than ever during these times when so many, so many around the world are turning their backs on Israel, even in the right wing conservative world in which so many Jews have come to believe that support for Israel is a given, so many of them are made wedges. Wedges are being put in there from, you know, Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, Candace Owens. It's really happening very much. And I'm speaking to my conservative friends in America. They don't know what to do with themselves. They're so their their idols are being shattered also. And you know, so I, I want to give a few examples of what I'm talking about here, because considering the unbelievably strong contrast that we're seeing today in this war between light and darkness, between good and evil, between Israel and Hamas, so many Jews, like I said, are recoiling in shock at the isolation of Israel and the isolation of the Jewish people from all sides. And so those that are standing up and speaking out for Israel um, 
from the nations of the world are being focused on, are being highlighted, are deeply appreciated by the Jewish world, by the entirety, really, of the Jewish world. In my own family group, in which I have family from around the world, countries around the world, they're religious, they're secular, they're right, and some are even a little bit left still, they're taking great comfort in what uh, what I'm about to show you. Now, the video I'm about to show you, I can't remember whether I showed it to you before, but if I did, I'm showing it to you again because it just made me feel good. And uh, it, it's of the Maori tribe. Did I show you this yet? Hopefully not. Anyways, we are, uh, th this Maori tribe, or now they're clearly Christians, and they're standing opposite a group of Hamas protesters performing something called a haka, which looks very much like a pre-war psych-out dance, and they're doing it with all their souls. You got to see this. You know, I mean, my cousins were like, I never had anyone have a perform a, a haka for me before. And, you know, like, I think that the uh, Hamas protesters were like, from the river to the sea, like they were just, I think the wind was just taken out of their sails there. Um, and, uh, and it just, the fact that there was like no pushback on them, I think says as much about the courage and conviction of the Maori as it does about the inherent cowardice of the Hamas activists. Let's see, you know, rushing on them. So that went viral, and all of a sudden, you know, my family and pretty much every Jew I know has this newfound affection and love for the Maori. So uh, so one of the, uh, by the way, Maori actually means Maor is like an illumination, a source of light, which is a really beautiful idea. And he was one of the most powerful examples of the remnant of the nations that is fiercely standing with Israel, is that of the famous cowboys. You guys know what I'm talking about. Have you heard of these guys? Of course you have. Everybody's heard of these guys. I'm like, they just came to Israel and now they're like international sensations. I don't know anyone in the Jewish world who hasn't heard of them. And the story uh, with these cowboys started a few weeks ago when they were, you know, the world is increasingly turning on Israel more and more and more. And there were even some Jews that were fleeing the country out of fear for what's in store. There were. There were really Jews that were I'm out of here right now. I don't know if what happened in Gaza is going to happen to the whole country. Really, that was a real fear that was happening. And I don't think anyone was judging anyone at this time. As a matter of fact, that's how I got my two dogs that serve very little function other than entertaining my children to no end. And so I'm really sort of stuck with them. And now one of them is pregnant. And all I wanted them to do was to bark when someone comes near. Just bark. Nope. Nope, they're not going to do it. 
unless it's another dog or a fox or something, then they'll bark. But anyway, so I'm stuck with these dogs now. Um, and uh, what was I talking about? Talk about ADD. Anyways, so uh, so they were just fleeing the country, and I got them from one of these families that was fleeing the country. That's the connection. Anyways, as this was happening, someone snapped a picture at the airport that's been just going around the world, and it's a picture of these cowboys in the airport that are not fleeing Israel to the safety and serenity of their homes in Montana. No, they are on their way into Israel to stand with us and support us in whichever way they could. And that's the picture of them. So everyone is contacting me, my friends, my family, trying to find out who they are because they assume for some crazy reason that I would know them. Um, and it seems like everybody just wanted a piece of these poor guys. And then our friends in Hayovel uh, put out this video that they had been found and they were introducing themselves. Here's the video. Ben, you got it? My name is uh, John Ploker and I'm from Montana. I'm Ezekiel Strain and I'm from Montana. Hey y'all, I'm Luke Hutzler and I'm from Huntsville, Arkansas. My name's Yosef, I'm from Montana and I'm here to serve Israel. We're just here to serve Israel any way we can during the hard time here and the struggle against Hamas just out in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, just um, serving people whatever way we can help. So. You, you got to love him. You don't even know him. You got to love him. And, and so anyway, why was everybody contacting me? Because they wanted to invite them over for a Shabbat and show their gratitude to them. They, they wanted to meet them in person. And I think, I think to ensure that they were real, you know, in this past Shabbat, that's exactly what happened. They were hosted in the Judean community of Ephrat, which is one of the most prominent settlements in Judea. And people were fighting with each other over who would have the great privilege of hosting them in their homes. Because, you know, the Abrahamic hospitality thing is a real thing, particularly in Judea, across the board. Anyway, so they were hosted in the Jewish community of Ephrat, and they were so in demand, people so badly wanted to meet them, that Motzei Shabbat, Saturday night, after Shabbat, they were hosted in one of the biggest, one of the largest synagogues in the community. And as you can see, there was standing room only. Look at these pictures. Standing room only. Here they are. These, these poor guys, they're like, I don't imagine that they've had oratory classes and lessons and public speaking. They were just coming to like prune some vines and do whatever they could. And here they are like international sensations. But um, God doesn't always give you a heads up. Sometimes you're just there. And I just heard that the response was overwhelming and people were just so inspired and uplifted by what they had to say. And all the fears and doubts, by the way, that a very small group of loud people were spreading that these cowboys were missionaries with sinister motivations and evil intent. I just was so happy that they had an opportunity to speak because that was just summarily put to rest. You know, that st the rumors started spreading and then you hear them. And you just, who you are speaks even louder than what you say. And this simple beauty, sincerity, tamim, you know, that's what God tells us, tamim to you, you should be innocent before the Lord. There's just a certain truth and purity and innocence. And uh, so by one of my good friends, here's the testimony that he gave about it. He sent this to me. He said, whoever said the cowboys are missionaries couldn't be farther from the truth. These guys are just here because they love us 
and believe stronger than many Jews that we are Hashem's chosen people. And this is where we're supposed to be. And those who bless us will be blessed. It was amazing meeting them and hearing them speak in a fraud over Shabbat. It's, it's, it's so simple. So many Israelis that I meet when I talk about, you know, Christian love for Israel and non-Jews are like, so, most of the time the response is like a conditioned one. Like, oh yeah, according to their whole theology, they want us to come back. So then Jesus will come again and then we'll all die. And that whole thing is going to happen. And it's just some like abstract theology. I'm like, I'm sure there are those that do believe that. I know that that's true, but that is not the motivation of the people that I know that just have a love for Israel, just just to Genesis 12, 3, those who bless Israel will be blessed. And just that inner compass, moral compass in your heart that you just know is right and true. And um, anyways, that Israelis are open to hear that. They just, you know, in some ways they want to hear that. They don't want to hear that these incredible friends of Israel have these sinister motivations. And it just, it's a shame. It's a shame. But you see, there's a a refinement process, you know, that we've been talking about here in the Christian world that's been a journey. It's a, it's a journey of, of truth, and it's a journey of discovery. And I mean a journey of truth, meaning you have to have a heart that is seeking truth. They say that emet, truth is God's seal. And if you're seeking that truth and you're willing to go wherever it takes you, even if into no man's, spiritual no man's land, well, that's often where you end up when you follow God's truth in a spiritual no man's land, and that can be a scary place to be. But ultimately, that's where we are here together, and that leads you to, to the Holy Land. Anyways, all of that work that I've seen happening with the Wallers, with so many of you, with so many Christians that are on this journey has really been, I believe, for right now, because the whole world is able to see where each and every person is falling here. And it's inspiring to see because, you know, indeed, there is a line in the sand, and the line is no less than the line between Jacob and Esau, between those who stand with the God of Israel and those who stand against the God of Israel. And I, I know this is a little bit longer than most clips, but I just wanted to play it for you right here. It's not the end of the fellowship. I still have what to share with you, so hold tight. But I wanted at this point to play for you a song um, that was composed and performed by my beloved friends, the Wallers, which I've watched many times over the years. And I think it was recorded then. I think it was recorded seven years ago for this moment right now. And so I want I want uh, to share that with you. There's a battle raging over a people and a land. Will you rage with the nations or will you stand and say? Covenant spoken many years 
And I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he has commanded for a thousand generations. We believe in the covenants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the sand, where will you stand? You know, it really doesn't matter how many times I watch that. It it just touches me in the deepest place each time. I know many Jews that I've shown that video to, and they have tears in their eyes at the end. And I think it's because it's the ultimate affirmation that we really are not alone, that the words of the prophet are true, uh, that that there will be righteous of the nations uh, that stand with us against the entire world in the end of days. And uh, And when has it happened that another faith has come up and stood strong saying that faith, that religion, those people, their God's chosen, not as them. When has that even happened? You know, which is why, by the way, I'm just like, so I have come to love them so much over the years that when this latest round of accusations against them came up, I was contacted by the Jerusalem Post to um, to to testify for them publicly. And so I want to read to you here just uh, what, what I wrote. I said, I've seen over the years that coming to the defense of the Wallers can put you directly in the line of fire to receive the same outrageously slanderous accusations that are being leveled at them. But over the years, I've come to realize that this is a hill I'm willing to die on. Not only because the Wallers have quite literally shown that they're willing to die on our hill for us or with us, but even more importantly, because it's simply the truth. There has not been one Jew that has converted to Christianity at the hands of Hayovel, or even attempted to, by the way. Um, not one. There is zero evidence supporting these false and slanderous accusations. There are, however, tens of thousands of Christians that have developed a deep love and appreciation for Israel and the Jewish people due to their influence. And while I don't know the motivations of those leveling these accusations, I would warn them to be very careful as the laws of Lashon Hara gossip and even worse, Motsi Shemra, false gossip, applied to the righteous of the nations. I have known the Waller family for over 20 years. We've had countless hours of heart-to-heart -heart conversations, and they've become like my family. 
And if there is any doubt, let it be dispelled. They are indeed the righteous of the nation. So if you want to attack them, attack me. I already have sandbagged defensive positions in my home to defend from jihadists on the front lines of Judea. Hopefully they'll absorb your slings and arrows as well. So that was just published today in the Jerusalem Post. I think that they uh, took out some of the more uh, fiery language, so I don't know the updated version. But uh, I wanted to share that with you because, you know, there's, there is a war happening on a lot of fronts, and that is one very central spiritual front that it's happening. Anyway, so seeing this struggle in the womb of Rebecca in our Torah portion, it shines this entirely new light. Um, it shines this whole new light on the struggle that we see playing out, not only in the Christian world, but really in the entire world, in the entire world. As a matter of fact, as I read through the Torah portion on Shabbat, along with the insights of the sages of Israel, I emerged with an insight, not only into what's playing out in the world, but perhaps even more importantly for myself, uh, it was an insight into my own heart, into my own journey. Since uh, And this has really been happening in me since the world changed on that fateful day in October, on October 7th. And, and you know, many of you who have been here for years from the beginning, I'd be interested to hear whether you've seen what I'm about to talk about here within me. Because this insight came to a head this past week after I had two back-to-back -back interviews on the farm. Because Jeremy, you know, Jeremy and I have patrols and guard duty um, for at least four hours a day. Um, you, you know, and we're right there in the middle. And so I can't leave the farm very often, right there in the middle of the day like that. And so I say, if you want to interview me, you're welcome to come out to the farm. And a lot of people are scared to even drive out there. But on this day, two people did. And the first interview is by my friend named Joel Gasper. Go Goel Jasper. Goel Jasper. Goel means, uh, you know, redeemer. Jasper. Anyways, he interviewed me for his podcast called Return Again, which focuses on the story of Jews who have returned to the Holy Land. Shana loves it. Uh, maybe you guys would enjoy it also. Anyways, the second interview is by a Christian friend who came out to the farm to interview me for his podcast about the war and how it's playing out in the land of Israel. Anyways, after both of these interviews, um, I returned to my family that night and I sat there and I was just reflecting on the words that I myself said on these podcasts that were just echoing through my head. And I was feeling really uncomfortable about it, even a bit sad. I felt like someone who listened to those podcasts or even past sessions, the past sessions of this fellowship since the war would walk away with, with I think, a skewed perception of who I am Justifi justifiably, legitimately, based on my very own words, because when I zoomed out, the things I heard myself saying and the anger and the vitriol with which I was saying it, it just felt unrecognizable, like it wasn't even me. Have you guys sensed that in me over the past few weeks? I feel like sometimes I'm channeling my father because he sort of lived in that in that headspace. But anyways, since the war broke out, I've been declaring again and again how badly I want to go to war, how badly I want the opportunity to kill as many Hamas terrorists as I could, how badly I wanted to kill each and every last one of them, and that if they fortified their military headquarters under schools and hospitals, that Israel shouldn't think twice before destroying them as well, and that if there were any innocent Gazans that were there that were killed while wiping out Hamas, that their blood was on the hands of Hamas themselves. And uh, and while I stand by, I stand by everything that I said in both of those interviews as as absolutely true. But on the deepest level, I was just feeling like it isn't. 
it isn't really true. On the deepest level, like Jeremy sort of alluded to there, interestingly enough, it really isn't my desire to kill anyone. My greatest desire really is love and peace and harmony and friendship. And those who know me well know that that's just true. It's not to kill. But I was saying these things, in, I think in the way that I was, not only you know for the interview, but even more so for myself. You know, I was saying it to strengthen myself, I think, to keep this gavura, to keep this very real strength and conviction alive within me, to keep this warrior spirit alive within me, because, you know, it really isn't in my deepest nature. And when you go out to war, you have to want to be there. You have to be ready to fight. You have to want to fight because if they do and you don't, it's not going to be a good thing. Anyway, so I actually reached this level of self-awareness of why all of this was was happening when reading through the Torah portion, uh, particularly along uh, with the teachings of Rav Cook, uh, this was uh, actually a teaching shared by Rabbi Goldscheider, who shared the teaching of Rav Cook um, from his uh, powerful book called Midbar Shur. Anyways, in it, he teaches about the fundamental nature of both Esau and Jacob. You see, Esau's very name comes from the word Asal, he made, like he came out of the womb big and hairy and like ready-made. He was full of power and domination and brute strength. It was all like right there. It had to be fully made right there. Like, that's the soup. Give me the soup. I don't care what it is. I need it now. Right? Whereas Jacob's name, Yaakov, comes from the word heel, which is the lowest part of the body, which symbolizes, you know, humility and and uh, kindness. Anyway, so let, let's take a step back. In past fellowships, we've discussed how Isaac may not have been fooled by Esau's trickery. Jeremy just talked about this a little bit. He touched on it. And he, he says, you know, that he wasn't tricked by, and, and that's sort of comforting because you'd like to believe that Isaac, the wisdom and the prophecy, that he wouldn't have been so easily fooled by the trickery and the trappings of Esau's mouth. Um, but, uh, but rather he understood the violent warlike nature of Esau and his hope in wanting to bless him was that Esau would be able to harness those warrior qualities to protect the meek and peace-loving Jacob. Uh, you know, because I, he saw that there would be vicious haters that would inevitably rise against Jacob. And he thought Esau could be his protector. They're two brothers. It was Isaac's desire to, desire to empower Esau to harness these qualities for the protection of his brother Jacob. Isaac wanted them to work together as brothers each using their natural predispositions to further the goal of the nation of Israel. He, he felt that both of the qualities were needed within the nation of Israel. That was his hope, which is understandable, right? What father doesn't want his sons to work together and to love each other? But Rav Cook teaches that this was not meant to be. And the reason this dynamic duo of Esau and Jacob was not meant to be was because Esau's force and aggression was coming from the wrong place altogether, right? Esau loved the violence as an end in and of itself. And the love of war and the love of killing and death does not have a place within the nation of Israel, right? The love of, of violence and carnage does not have a place in the collective hearts of the Jewish people. And that is why both blessings the blessing intended for Esau, as well as that meant for Jacob, both needed to go to Jacob. Because 
when a Jew does go to war, when a Jew, Jew does pick up arms to fight and kill, it can never be from a place of joy and glee. You know, perhaps from a, a foundation of happiness that we're able to, to destroy evil from the world and sanctify God's name, but never joy and glee from the act of the, the, the murder and the killing, the violence itself. It's just, it's just not us. And the verse that Rav Cook quoted that revealed this truth, when I read it, it brought a sense of peace to my soul. And it brought me to a deep understanding of what's happening within my own heart right now. So Rav Cook explained that when Jacob entered the tent to receive Esau's blessing, as, as you know, right, he put the, the skin of an animal over his arm to imitate the appearance of Esau, as his mother Rivka, Rebecca, had instructed him. Let's look inside. Genesis chapter 27, verses 22-23. So Jacob drew close to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. But he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like the hands of Esau's brother, so he blessed him. Right? Rav Cook teaches that Jacob was merely wearing these warlike qualities of Esau on an external and a superficial level. Right, that for Jacob, these qualities of war and violence and fighting are really only skin deep. They were never meant to be internalized into Jacob's essence and loved and reveled in. Right, Even if Jacob is forced to step outside of his comfort zone and to fight and to kill, it would never be from that place of love for those things. It would always remain, it must always remain external to his fundamental essence. So if you want to see an example of Jews functioning and behaving in our comfort zone, right? Watch the idea of soldiers giving out water to the civilians in Gaza. Have you seen that? I mean, so many people are like, well, what are we doing to our enemies? Our enemies that want to wipe us out. And we're doing, what other people does that? And I say that also, and I'm frustrated by it. But on the other hand, deeper in my heart, I actually celebrate it because I don't want to lose that because I love that too much about us. And I know that God is protecting us even from our own suicidal tendencies of overcompassion to genocidal monsters that want to murder us. But anyways, you know, there these idea of soldiers, I have the, the video, um, but, uh, you know, some of the videos that I have are not going to be able to be put into the fellowship because, as you may know, Tabitha, actually, uh, her family lost someone very dear to her and she's at the funeral. Every day, I can't tell you what it's like to wake up and to see the names and to feel our heart ripped and broken. But also, there's another level of personal. Do, do I know them? Are they my family? Are they my friends? And it's all of us have had the answer yes to that. And today was was Tabitha's, but I'll let her share that more with you. But anyways, I don't know if you've seen that video of these IDF soldiers um, giving out this water. But that's that's where our comfort zone is. That's where it doesn't take a lot of you know, uh, encouragement or pushing to get Jews to do that, because that's just what we do, which, by the way, may be one of the reasons why Jews, I think, excel at war so much, other than the fact that we excel at war because Hashem fights with us and through us, and that is the number one reason, the primary reason, and really the only reason. But uh, but there's also, you know, corollary reasons, I think, that strengthen that. And I think it's because exactly because we don't love it, because we don't revel in it. And at the deepest level, our hearts, we don't we don't want it at all because we don't we don't delight in it the way our enemies do. And this quality allows us to approach the war with a certain sober and dispassionate sort of posture. It allows us to to think and strategize and fight with forethought and consideration as opposed to Hamas, 
who we now know, right, preemptively launched their war against Israel without the agreed upon coordination with Iran and the Hezbollah simply because they couldn't restrain themselves because they so badly wanted to slaughter and massacre and torture and rape the unarmed revelers at the Nova concert. And so it was there that that's why they're just they love it just so much that they see colors and they do stupid things. But anyways, the more I reflected you know, on this teaching, the more I understood what I myself was going through. I felt like I understood why I was, you know, talk, all this war talk, this anger talk, this I wanted, I wanted talk. I realized that I, I needed to keep the motivation and the desire for, for war alive within me because if I didn't, if I didn't keep reflecting on the purity of the evil that had been unleashed upon us, I feared that I may lose the zeal for the war. And, you know, I don't think it's healthy for people to watch these videos that the Hamas filmed with their GoPros. At the beginning, I didn't know what was happening. None of us did. And I watched a few of them and it was horrific and it has scarred me. But I often watch those previews just in my head. I go back to those previews just in my head and I watch them again and I watch them again because I can't lose it. We can't lose it. Because as King Solomon said, there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. And this is a time for war and this is a time to battle against the forces of darkness and evil in the world. Because if we don't, then those forces will thrive and they will multiply and they will strengthen. It's like leaving the cells of a malignant tumor, just leaving a few of them there. And we all know that if that happens, then the indescribable horrors of October 7th are only the beginning. Anyways, because I know myself, and, and, and the truth is that the real me, the me of least resistance, is not only named Ari Abramowitz, but also Dr. Schmendrick Flotzenstein, right? The name of my medical clown persona, because I love going to the hospitals dressed as a clown and making kids laugh. All the kids, all the kids, it doesn't matter who, because by nature, I love them all. Whether, like I've told you this before, whether it's Moshe or Mohammed or Joseph or Jihad, I love all of the children. I love all people. It's just simply the way Hashem made me. I can't take credit for it. I don't deserve accolades for it. It's just the way I was designed from the womb. And I imagine most of you in this fellowship, you're, you're exactly the same way. So, you know, even when I drive on the roads in Judea and I see Arabs walking along the side of the road in the sun, it's my natural impulse to want to pick them up and give them a ride. And I have to hold myself back and I find that I resent them, that I can't give them a ride. That I can't give them a ride because if I do, they may use that opportunity to stab me in the back as sick and pathological as that is. And so, you know, after learning this teaching from Rav Cook and really letting it sit within me, like digesting it, I really was able to look back on those interviews with all my fiery talk of war and understand it in a different context and be at peace of it, even, even to be proud of it, because everything I said was true, but that's the dimension and the level of energy and focus that I really need to be on right now, despite knowing my deeper, deeper desires and motivations. Because, you know, it, it's true, I'm, I, I really am ready to fight and to die, or preferably even to fight and to kill. Uh, you know, I knew that this desire was no different than, you know, the animal hair on Yaakov's arm, right? He needed to put on that hair, on that faithful, faithful day, on that faithful moment, he needed to put that hair on. It was, it was necessary for the time that he was in. And at that moment, he needed to don the hands of Esau. But never would the hands of Esau penetrate into his very essence. 
That would never happen. It could never happen. It just simply isn't who Jacob was. It isn't who Jacob is. And, and, that, and that's okay. It wasn't supposed to be, you know, part of his essence. Because if it, if it did, if it was, he wouldn't be Jacob. He wouldn't be the Jacob that would eventually usher in the light and the peace and the harmony into the world that we will soon see brought into the world at the end of days, which, my friends, is any day now between us. I mean, Jeremy, I actually, Jeremy and I have spoken about this. We both feel like this coming Pesach is a big day, even though I promised I'm not going down that route again. You've been here from the beginning with me. You know that. But, you know, any day, any day could really be it. You know, because at the at his very essence, Jacob is a spiritual man and he dwelled in tents. And what was he doing in those tents? He wasn't scrolling through Facebook. He was praying and he was studying and he was seeking to bring the truth and the spirituality of the Torah and of Hashem into the world by infusing it into his very essence. And that's why, if you look past the war coverage on CNN and Fox News, if you look at what's really happening on the ground in the Holy Land, you see that Jacob is indeed alive and well. And so I, I want to, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll wind this up in a second, but I, I want to let you in for a moment into the internal life of Jacob, into the real war that is being fought in the heart of Israel at this very moment. Um, and you, but the examples I'm going to give, it was actually really hard to give them because there were thousands of them. Everywhere I look all day, there are thousands. I could have done three fellowships just on this very point. But yeah, I thought I would start with this because I didn't have a lot of time. This is the first one that popped up this morning. So here's a message that's being circulated through the Jewish world over the past few days. And this is just, you know, like, like I said, a small example of the spiritual dynamics of the, the real war that's being fought. If you could show that, that slide. It says here that their group, called Achim B'Tfilah, meaning brothers in prayer, was created with one goal, to unite the Jewish people as we strengthen our soldiers with their strongest defense. Tfilah, prayer. Anyways, it goes on to say that it's, it's well known that the most dangerous and fierce battles in Gaza take place between the hours of 2 to 6 a.m., a time when Israelis are asleep. And the message goes on to say that IDF soldiers have shared that the time that they feel a weakening of their strength uh, with the, is with the lessening of the prayers that are during that time. So in short, these guys, this sort of initiative, they were allocating 10-minute time slots to be filled by Jews from around the world during the time when soldiers need it most. And of course, it filled up like that 100 times over, um, even though it's like just in, in certain groups, it's just everyone jumps on this immediately. You know, there, there are just so many examples of it. I actually just saw a picture that I've been looking for all day. I spent so long looking for this. So I just want to show you. I don't know if you can see. Can you see that? Can you? Yeah. Mm -mm. I'll, I'll send it to you. Anyways, it's a picture of like a little boy reading the Psalms and praying. And then just right over a soldier fighting, showing the clear connection between those prayers and that soldier fighting. And, um, and, you know, so there are just so many examples of how the nation of Israel is, is, is intuitively uh, standing together and understands inherently that our strength is in our love for each other and our strength is in our love for Hashem. Even secular Jews are understanding this on the deepest level. That maybe they can't always articulate with words, but is definitely very clear through their actions. And that, that this war will only be won, can only be won, in the spiritual realm. I actually just saw this picture this morning, so I thought I would share it with you because it's just from this morning. Ben, can you show that? It's a picture of a rabbi in one of the combat units 
It's the same guy on both sides. And his friends were pressuring him to adopt this sort of funny trend in the army that I still don't fully understand of the mustaches. I think it's a throwback to the Yom Kippur War, but I'm not sure exactly. Anyways, they wanted him to do it, and he agreed on the condition that they would all put on tefillin every day until the end of the war. Right? A demand, the phylacteries, you know, that the, the Bible tells us that we put on every day. And they all readily agreed to it. Uh, probably both because they were eager to see him take off this beard that he probably has never had off since he was able to grow a beard, but also because all of them were probably doing it anyways because of the great spirit of return and repentance that is sweeping throughout the nation of Israel and the land of Israel. And so that picture was of him before and after that. And, you know, one of the greatest movements in the spiritual war is the initiative to extricate and remove Lashon Hara from our collective national consciousness. Right, what is Lashon Hara? Gossip, slander. It literally means the evil tongue. Every morning after prayer, personally, in my congregation, my uh, the right after prayer, the teacher gets up, one of the rabbis gets up and speaks and shares a different law of the complex and detailed guidelines of guarding our tongue and how we speak about each other. And although at first glance, this may seem sort of random or arbitrary or, you know, like, why are we hyper-focusing on gossip out of all things? But the truth is, it's not. Because how we speak about each other is a manifestation of how we see each other. And how we see each other is reflected in how Hashem sees us. And if we love each other unreasonably, above nature, then that is exactly the way Hashem will love us. So here's actually a video of an Israeli tank. Are you ready for this? You got to see this. Ben, can you play it? That's fine. Did you see the sign there at the very beginning? I don't know, Ben, can you go back to the beginning of it? So that the, yes, there it is. You see that? It's the words, and it has a red circle through it. It says, Lashon Hara. No, forbidden here. And under you know, it says, Lashon Hara, evil tongue. This is a gossip-free zone. In Gaza. In Gaza. That there's no gossip allowed in the middle of the deepest, craziest fighting in the in the middle of Gaza. No gossip allowed. No evil tongue. What other army do you know that puts up signs like that in the middle of their war zones? An army that understands that this is a spiritual war. And this was actually the uh, the final video I'm going to share with you right now that was recorded by the holy, brave warrior Yosef Chaim Hershkovitz. I'm sure many of you have heard of him. Father of five children. He was very beloved by everybody. He was like a, a famous guy as far as like Sadiqim are concerned. He was the principal of a boys high school in Jerusalem. Here's the first 20 seconds. We're playing the first 20 seconds. It's a five minute video, but I'll just play the first 20 seconds. Go ahead, Ben. לי אישית, אני מבקש בקשה אישית פה. לא להגיד לשון הרע על המשרד, שום דבר. That was all he wanted. That was his final request. That was his heart's desire for the nation of Israel to love each other, to see each other in a positive, generous, 
loving light and to speak nicely about each other. He goes on to talk about there's no leftist, there's no right wing, there's no left wing. And listen, I don't know if you remember, right before the war, there was very, very heated debates, fights going on about the Supreme Court, which I felt very passionately about. And the tactics I saw the other side taking made it very difficult for me to feel that love for them. And I'm sure that he stood exactly where I stood on this issue. Maybe, maybe, maybe you know what? Maybe not. I don't know. But one thing I can tell you is that wherever he stood on the issue, it didn't prevent him from loving the diametrical opposite of those that stood against his position because he was able to transcend all of that and love every Jew. And and that's that's ultimately the, what, what this war is about on some level, on one, one of the great fronts of this war internally within the Jewish people. It's for us to love each other, and Hashem loves us in exactly that way. And anyways, all of this that I'm saying, this is the real nature of Yaakov, of Jacob, right? Love and light and compassion and spirituality, spiritualizing everything in the world. And, and when your heart is connected to Israel, when you're fighting with Israel on whatever front that you can, then you're fighting the spiritual war with us. And so I, I would... I want to bless you. I want to bless all of us that we're able to stay strong, keep our prayers strong, don't give up, because there are going to be great, great pain, and there's great, great pain and great, great challenges ahead. I know it. Before the great redemption that is in store, where there's going to be a lot of fear, a lot of fear, a lot of very, very good reason to fear. And we have to stay strong, because that the battle against that fear and the doubt in our hearts, that is what is going to be winning this war. That is the spiritual dimension of this war. And I know that there's times that I can feel you guys holding us up in prayer. And I want to bless you, and I want to thank you for that. And so I want to bless you with the blessing that Aaron the high priest blesses blesses the, the nation of Israel every day. And as you know, I'm not a descendant of Aaron. I believe I'm from the tribe of Judah. But either way, we are told that the whole nation of Israel were an Amkonim, a nation of priests. And so it's my greatest privilege to bless all of you as you have such a tremendous blessing to us. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yisemcha shalom May God bless and protect you. May he shine his light and his countenance upon you. And may he give you peace. Amen. Love you all so much. Shalom, shalom. Stay in touch. To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the land of Israel live from the Judean frontier.